Welcome back to Barclays Center, Nets fans. You're now watching the hottest, scariest, and maybe best team in the NBA. The Nets won their seventh straight game Tuesday night, beating the Kings behind Bruce Brown's career-high 29 points. Can anyone beat this team? We'll talk about the win streak, the Scary Hours All-Star squad, and roster reshuffling as the post-Brian Lewis stops by. We'll also hear from you, the listeners, and you've got mail, and ask Kerry a few questions in Kerry's corner. All that and more is next on a welcome back to Barclays Nets fans edition of Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. The New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former net number 30, Carrie Kittles. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, but if you're using Apple, give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. The post Brian Lewis will join us later in the show. We'll also hear from you, the fans, as fans have returned to Barclays Center, but Full Court on Flatbush listeners will return to the show today. But Kerry, uh, first, can I uh, ask you a question? Who's a better player, James Harden or Kevin Durant? Oof. I mean, man, you're, you're, they're so different, right? I mean, they're just so different in, in what they do when they're on the court. Better player? I, I don't know, man. That's that's tough to say. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, James Harden is a better passer. Scoring ability, you probably have to go with KD right there for that. But that's splitting hairs, too, because Harden is unguardable. <laughs> Durant's probably a better defender because he's tall, he's longer. But, I mean, man, they're, they're both great players. They both should be in the MVP conversation. It's fun that they're both on the same team. My former team is, you know, I get to watch them all the time who but i mean if you told me to pick one i'd probably go with kd but man i don't know harden is playing so well right now well the point of that question was not to you know cause some strife amongst the net stars the point was to uh illuminate a little bit that it is a question i mean that's the the crazy thing i, I think the the stock answer before would have always been katie just like yep, it's, it's yep, katie yep. it's katie yep. and, and he's missed a little too much time i think to be in the mvp conversation correct that correct. was just more meant to highlight how freaking good James Harden has been. I believe James Harden's been the best player in basketball since he got to Brooklyn. You know, LeBron James is the best player I've ever seen. I'm not taking that title off him, you know, big picture. You don't lose that title by count out or disqualification. It's got to be pinfall or submission, right? It doesn't happen in the regular season. It happens in the playoffs over time. But in the last month, who's been better than James Harden? And, that, that, you know, that's as good as Damian Lillard's been. It's as, as good as uh, Steph Curry's been. Nobody's been better than him. Nobody. Nobody's been playing that well, that consistent for this stretch of a time. I think it's been like seven weeks now. And, you know, he's averaging, what, th- you know, close to 30 a game. 
you know, triple-double almost every night, and he's shooting great from the field. He's 50-some percent. I mean, he's from two and, I don't know, high 40s from three. I mean, he's – I mean, there isn't anything that he's not doing well right now on the court, and he's super consistent. He's there every game pretty much. I don't think he only missed like one or two games since he came over, and he's just so reliable, and he's making everyone into superstars around him. I mean, all these role players now just look like <laughs> the same role players we saw when he was in Houston just excelling. So James Harden has, has, has done a great – job for the Nets. I, I think he's exceeded everyone's expectations, including mine. And uh, I'm just fascinated to see him finish the season and then go on into the postseason and really just do damage. He's, he's controlling the entire floor. I, I think that's the thing that stands out to me the, the most. He's manipulating where guys are, where they're getting it. You, you know he can hit the step back three. You know he can take it off the dribble and, and throw in those little floaters, all that stuff. But it's just the control over the game. And you mentioned the role players. You know, some of the role players that benefit from that, a Bruce Brown, who had his, you know, I I, I don't know what you call it. it. Yeah, it it wasn't exactly his coming out party. He's been a a key, you know, part of this team. But like his his big explosive game, even shimmying in front of, you know, the the King's bench. When your confidence is high like that, Robin, that's what happens. I mean, the guy's scoring like crazy. He's playing the center position at (laughs) 6'3", and then he makes a couple of threes, and there you have it. Did you ever shimmy? You don't strike me as a shimmier. That wasn't me. Calm assassin. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, yeah, the role players are, 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 are playing with Harden. I mean, I mean, you just like at a candy store, right? You just know you're going to get wide open looks if you're Harris, if you're Shamit. You know, Johnson comes in the game. He's making threes. TLC. All these role players now are just like licking their chops. Like, I can't wait to play with this guy. It's just so much fun. But Brown's playing like a big man, right? You, you mentioned, I mean, he, he's, he's screening. He's rolling. He finishes a, a, around the cup. The guy's like 6'2". Six foot three. I mean, Sean Marks, of all the moves he's, he's made, I mean, he's made some good ones. Look at the guys that are on this team now. But picking Bruce Brown up for who did we, uh, Musa, uh, <laughs> during the yeah. offseason, <laughs> like yeah. that, yeah. It, there's a celebration to be had for that acquisition. Yeah, that's a, that's a great acquisition. I mean, I love scrappy players. I just love the way they just mix themselves into every possession. You know, he's going to take on the challenge defensively. He's going to guard the best player, heads up, doesn't need any help, and you're going to get max effort every possession. And now, just offensively, he knows his limitations. He's not going to take a lot of threes. He'll take a couple of threes, but he's going to finish around the basket. You know that for a fact. He's going to feed off of his teammates. He's going to get offensive rebounds. He does all the intangibles, and he does it every single night. It's not, he doesn't take a night off, and, and that's what you really want. So, I mean, Sean Marks to find him is just an acceptable find. Musa and a second-round pick it was, Robin, and uh, my brother from another mo- mother, another member of the Brown family. What can Brown do for you? And I also think the shimmy thing, which I love a good shimmy, Jimmy. It's something that, you know, I, I would do if I was making threes like that. It shows how much fun this team is having. They're dancing, they're passing, making threes. And he looked at the scoreboard, they interviewed him after the game. He didn't know how many points he had. He looked up and he was like, oh, that's my career high. And, and I think his teammate said to him, why didn't you get 30, bro? You know, it's a very basketball thing, right? There's a certain energy around basketball, right? You know, if you're Anthony Edwards and, and you, you dunk on somebody, you, you know, you can only really do that in basketball. I think it's why this top shot thing has taken off with basketball. You can't really do the shimmy in other walks of life, right? I mean, is there any other walk of life where you feel like it's appropriate to do the shimmy after you've completed a task? I do it at silent disco parties, at headphone parties. I do a good shimmy, but in other <laughs> ways, like I don't do that at the New York Post offices around <laughs> other people. Yeah, you can't clock into your job or check your mail. Or- when I see the shimmy, though, I, can't, I can't help but think of Mark Jackson. So the shimmy to me is just like, eh, I don't know, find something else to do. Great to celebrate. I mean, you see the fun that they're having. Everyone's like, the Nets bench has always been exciting to watch during the 
games, and and now you guys you have guys on the court celebrating when they're making shots. So it's it's always good. Now, meanwhile, someone who if they were to shimmy after they made a three, they might sh- throw their shoulders out of socket is Joe Harris. Uh, you know, because <laughs> that's a guy. I don't know if we've talked about him enough here because you sort of just expect what he's going to do, right? But he's leading the NBA in every kind of three. You know, above the break, catch and shoot from the corner, all over 50%. It really helps this team that Joe Harris makes every shot he takes. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a real sniper. I mean, <laughs> you know, and he's got long range. He's got the quick release. You throw it to him late shot clock, he's got a quick release three. That asset to be able to stretch the court in today's modern game, I mean, he's, he's invaluable. I mean, I, he's got to be on the court because you have to stay home on him. And then now what? What do you have? You have three dominant one-on-one scorers in Harden, right? KD and Irvin. That is a tough combo to, to stop. And yeah, Harris is, I mean, broke all my records the first year. <laughs> he's on a four-year, $75 million deal with the, the Nets after signing this past uh, offseason. Now, somebody who just returned and a lot of Nets fans are excited about it is, is Nick Claxton. He, I think, Kerry has a chance to be the best acquisition that the Nets make. We, we talk about all these guys that aren't on the team. It may be within house because he's got a lot of bounce. Uh, he's got lateral quickness, which I think is huge for bigs nowadays, especially, you know, the, the Nets are, are switching everything. You got to be patient. He's been on the shelf a long time. He hasn't proven too much at the NBA level. Uh, you have to measure your expectations. But when it comes to raw physical ability, I think he might be just the kind of, of piece this team needed. Yeah, they, they definitely needed someone that's over 6'8", six, 6'9", six, that's bouncy and has got good hands that can finish around the basket. And he, he definitely can do that well above the rim. And so when you lose Jared Allen and how he was playing for the Nets, your only real big is, is, is DJ, right? And you look at the East, you got to go through Embiid. And that's a lot of fouls right there because <laughs> Embiid is a load. You know, they're going to need him to develop. And, you know, he has some time to do that now that he's back in the lineup before before the, the uh, postseason starts. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how he fits in. I, I think he's going to do well with um, these great players. Can we talk about his hair, too? His hair is electric. I don't know the color. It's just it's bouncing. It adds another flow to this Nets team that I like. I don't know how he gets that color exactly. I mean, because it is what would you how would you describe that color? It's a, a kind of blonde. It's a, 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 a bronze. I don't know. It's blondman like Dennis Rodman or something somewhere in, in that. It's vein. unique. <laughs> Lodman, there it is. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it looks good on him. And <laughs> I loved what Kyrie did last night, by the way, in, in trying to get him going. You know, Kyrie is, is known for getting his own shot because he's unbelievable at it. But he had a, um, a breakaway opportunity, and he could have got another dunk, which was a rare sight to see him dunk this week. Instead, he, he gave it back to Claxton to try and get that the, the young guy going. So to me, that's a, um, indicative of the chemistry and energy we're starting to see build around this team. Yes, you're right. But that's also the, the golden rule in the NBA. Like, you, a guard never dunks the ball when a big is, is running the court like that. So you kind of have to give it up. But, yeah, it's, it's nice to see how they're, how they're playing so unselfish. And, you know, that just fits into what we've been seeing late from the Nets. It's just exceptional team basketball on the offensive end. They, they give up decent shots for better shots. You know, moving the ball around, that's something that they've always emphasized. You're, you're playing positionless basketball at its finest right now. We're, we're witnessing it. Right. Like if you didn't think that the game has changed over when you watched the Warriors a few years ago, now you've seen it. It is over. We're we're seeing five guards on the court consistently for the most part. And everyone's moving the ball. You're driving your kick into the next guy. You're trying to find the open three-point shooter. And the Nets are just rewriting it. And it's just history taking place. Literally, it really is. You know, those three guys when they're in the lineup, Kyrie, Katie, and Harden. 
over 80 points? Well, I mean, it, it's shown uh, all those uh, concerns are gone because the, the game's different. The game is spread out and, and with room to operate. You know, I'm starting to, you know, I said last week that this team's going to be playing for the championship. Aside from just like being a contender, there's a chance this is a dominant team. Like not like, oh, can they do this? May they achieve this? You could be talking about a dominant run where they're beating everyone and they're beating most teams soundly. And they're doing it consistently. And, and you have to, to allow for a championship, if, if not championships. I mean, you've got three guys who should be starting in the All-Star game. I mean, I know Harden isn't because he wasn't here at the beginning of the year and he played in Houston. But if you're talking about the best guys, he should be starting in the All-Star game. When you have a, a squad full of All-Stars, and, and the NBA is loaded. Damian Lillard wasn't a freaking starter, which is unbelievable. Uh, you know, you've got guys who didn't make it. I think Devin Booker will get in for Anthony Davis, Chris Middleton, you know, a whole bunch of guys, Trey Young have beefs for not making the all-star team. Aside from that, when the all-star game is played, the, the best of the best stand out, right? Real recognize real. And all three Nets guys, not just for a regular season game, in an all-star game are standout players on the court. Yeah, th these are what you said before. These are truly scary times. <laughs> you know, you have three superstars all on the same team, all in their primes, under contract, right? So... Uh, if you're anybody in the East or you're looking around the league and you're figuring what is going to be the dominant franchise in the next, you know, four to five years, <laughs> you have to say the Nets. And and look what they've been doing. You know, and think about this. They've had guys in and out of the lineups. Kyrie didn't always wasn't always there. Now you're seeing KD out. We'll see what happens when Harden has his little rest time somewhere along the way. You're going to see him taking his little rest. And they're still going to be able to just exploit teams and dominate teams because they're just so explosive. So yeah, you can have a team that is going to be have longevity of dominating with their consistent play, their unique style of play with this positionless basketball and the shooting around these guys. Yeah, it's, it's truly scary times. So yeah, it's fun to see these guys all getting recognized at the, the All-Star game. I mean, you know, just being around their peers, you know, there's other superstars. It's going to always be fun. And as a Nets fan, you got to be really excited. Who cares, Jake? How much the tickets cost, Jake? Just reach <laughs> into your pocket and just buy Nets tickets because Listen, it's just the best. I'm on a podcast budget. There. I'm a podcaster. I'm not an NBA player. I'm not an ex-NBA player that's the all-time <laughs> leading scorer out of Villanova. That's not me. So, you know, I, I got to put all my, my 401k into going to a Thursday night game against the Pistons, bro. We all, we all have our budgets, right? You just got to, you know, plan ahead. Ahead. That's all. Just plan ahead. Mm. Stop going out of all these fancy steak dinners and just plan it out. And then you can go watch these guys dominate. By the way, I found out these fancy steak dinners, being a fat ass is great <laughs> because my BMI is now going to qualify me to get the vaccine, which I learned last night. Uh, so how about that? That sounds like a, a Cartman scheme or something. <laughs> get my BMI. The you have a better chance of getting into the Barclays Center, too. So exactly. there you go. My obesity level is high, and now I get the vaccine. So I've never been so happy to be fat. All right. Well, don't take up two seats. When, when I might. Maybe that. three. Yeah. And we got to distance out anyway. Uh, you know, but um, as far as the, going back to what we were just talking about, there are just certain things that make you go, mwahahaha. And this current Nets team is one of those things. To me, the, the biggest concern, Kerry, is the three of them getting reps together. Now, that, that's what I'm worried about the most is all being, 
Don't, don't worry about that, Robin. Don't worry about the reps. I told you, this is a driving kick, spread the court game. It's no longer. It's they're fine. Like we've already seen them hoop. That they're, they're figuring out Steve Nash's system and all the switching on defense and stuff. Make sure they contain. Watch their their turnovers. Is all I'm concerned about that and the defensive rebounding. Other than that, they're fine. They've been playing the game for a long time. It's simple basketball now. And they're you know making small roster additions. They added Tyler Cook to a 10 day contract. He was out of the Iowa Wolves G League team, averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds in the G League this year. We'll talk more about that and other roster moves the Nets might make with the post Brian Lewis coming up in a bit. But, it, I mean, it's happy times here on, on full court on, on Flatbush. Fans are back. The, the Nets are, are rolling. They've won seven games in a row. They've got the, the Magic on Thursday, the Mavericks on Saturday, the Spurs on Monday, the Rockets on Wednesday. Four games left in that first half of the season. Jake might get the vaccine and get into Barclays Center, and we're going to hear from you, the fans of Full Court on Flatbush, next in You Got Mail. You Got Mail. Fans are back in Brooklyn, so we wanted to hear from you, the Nets fans, and Full Court on Flatbush listeners with our You Got Mail segment. Let's hear what you guys had to say. You Got Mail. Hey, Robin. Hey, Kerry. Great podcast. This is Chris from Rye, New York, in Westchester. I uh, really love the combo of you two, uh, uh, both contributing in, into each Nets game. And I wanted to ask a question really pertaining around James Harden. So, obviously, he has really changed the dynamics of this team. Um, and I'm curious to know, just from even your level of, of knowledge, do you feel like he has surprised you where, you know, his game from Houston has really translated into sort of this facilitator where he is really – um, making the dynamics of the team uh, complete, in a sense, from an offensive standpoint, getting everyone involved from role players to the star players, and he's really taken it to another level where I think he actually could be in the MVP conversation. Um, so uh, hopefully um, you can kind of answer my question and we can take from there, but great pod. Uh, thanks a lot. You know, Kerry, you, you see somebody and you know they're great. And, and I said before the Harden trade, you know, it was ridiculous. Some of the, the names I heard people say they wouldn't trade <laughs> for James Harden. But then there's a, the difference in seeing it every single game and, and seeing James Harden with the room he's had to operate uh, with and operate he is. Yeah, I mean, the caller had it right. I think he should be in that MVP uh, conversation. Um, you know, we saw this early on when he first went to Houston, where we saw more complete James Harden, and we referenced this last week. Um, we're seeing that now in, in his tenure with the Nets as he's getting more and more comfortable uh, playing for Steve Nash and playing with these other two superstars. He, he definitely has always had that playmaking ability. Now we're seeing it's still a part of his game. I, I think what allows him to be so special for me watching him play is that you have to respect his scoring. The minute you sleep on his scoring, boom, he drops 35 on you because he's, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's just looking to pass. He's looking to pass. But the dude led the league in scoring, I mean, I don't know how many times. So he's an, an elite scorer. And that just opens up everything else for him. And also, when you think about what he's been able to do, he's like the release valve. He relieves so much pressure off Kyrie. And, and you know, Katie is always just thinking about scoring from, from day one when he came into the league. But now Kyrie doesn't have to worry about being a point guard. Kyrie could just focus on scoring. And now you just see him just flourishing. Yeah, I remember when Harden said about Giannis, you know, some of us can't just run and, and dunk. Now, it may be a little bit disrespectful, but it does emphasize that Harden is a complete player all the way. Way around. I mean, you saw that distributing back in OKC and, and some of it in Houston, but the way Houston played was so reliant on him. 
now Harden, uh, you know, his game is is doing the talking and, and he's helping other people with their game. I, I could I could not watch him play in Houston. Literally, I turned the TV on. I'm like, I can't watch this guy go, go between his legs every single possession. It's like ISO ball. I think he's just jacking up threes. I just couldn't watch it. And I'm like, so of course, I think it was it was built into our memories as you know, James Harden is just ISO ball. And now you're seeing he's just way more than that. <laughs> he's way more than just ISO ball. And now you see him dishing the ball, driving, just eating defenses alive with his playmaking ability. It's just fun to watch. Yeah, who thought uh, coming to Brooklyn would be a face turn for James Harden? Let's go to the next voicemail. You've got mail. Hey, Robin, Carrie, Chris, representing Alamucci, New Jersey, a.k.a. Psycho Nets fan on Twitter. Um, Nets fan since 2000. Super, super excited to have fans back in Barclays Center. Um, seems like the, the Nets organization and Barclays Center are doing this the right way. Um, doing the, you know, slow opening, kind of getting everybody back safely. Guidelines are in place. It, it looks awesome. I think the only concern for, you know, especially us New Jersey um, Nets fans is uh, what are the ticket prices going to look like? Um, you know, being a fan and going to about five to seven games a year normally, um, making making our way out to Brooklyn, you know, might have to budget that down a little bit more, but um, God willing, we'll be there for the uh, playoffs and, and hopefully the NBA finals. So looking forward to it. Haven't been to an F game in 14 months and uh, looking forward to be back in the stands with the fans. Kerry, you going to help him out buy him a ticket? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. All, all New Jersey Nets fans that are still currently Nets fans. Hey, listen, you, I'm a big fan of you for, for uh, supporting the Nets. And, you know, what the, the Nets organization is so cool because it's a tri-state team. You have the New Jersey fans that are still loyal fans that follow the team. You got the other caller, caller from Ryan, New York. So I, I think it's great that the Nets are able to to expand and, and reach such a broad spectrum of fan base. And um, hopefully those those packages are pretty sweet. We'll see when the schedule comes out after the All-Star break. But um, hopefully I'll see you in Barclays Center. Yeah, I like the fact that, you know, we, we started to see uh, an embrace of New Jersey before because it was all Brooklyn in the past and now you're looking at the, the the franchise overall but make sure you send your your venmo so carrie can hit you up and 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 get you into barclays i gotta say guys they they right now they are pricing people out a lot like these tickets for season ticket holders are expensive from what i heard last year they raised them like 40 percent for season ticket holders right now you can't get tickets on StubHub yet second half they might expand and they might expand 1800 but you know the knicks have 2000 you can get a ticket for a nick game on StubHub for 100 125 bucks nets I mean, Carrie, you got how many kids? Five? You might have to give one of them to, to get a pair of tickets to see the Nets Kings on a Tuesday night. So Listen, it's, Jake, it's a little all that matters. All that matters is is July. Playoffs, finals. Like, if you can get tickets for that and and hopefully everyone's vaccinated and you got, maybe you can have almost full capacity, if not, you know, three-quarters capacity, I don't think ticket prices will be that pricey. I think they're so high right now because there's just so limited seats that are available. But I think once they start to expand uh, the uh, capacity of the arena, I think the, the prices are... I don't know. Well. NBA Finals tickets might be more than Kerry Kittle's 1996 salary. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, the price is already on a Tuesday night. I'm scared we're Nets-Lakers <laughs> finals. How much? How many kidneys you got to give up for that? Yeah, five kids, you're right, man. I don't know about that. That's a, that's a heavy price tag. It's time for Kerry's Corner, where we ask Kerry Kittles some questions about his playing days. Now, Kerry, um, the, the Nets currently, Steve Nash, former player, as the, the coach. That was a storyline going into the season. When you were playing, was there any player that stood out as a likely future coach? I mean, to me, the obvious answer 
would, would be Jason Kidd. But was he like that? No, that's funny. Uh, you know, just to see Jason Kidd then become a head coach uh, in the NBA uh, when he finished, when he retired from playing, uh, that was interesting because playing with Jason Kidd for three seasons in the backcourt, he was a very quiet leader. He was a leader by example. He wasn't super vocal in huddles. He wasn't super vocal in the locker room. Listen, we always knew where he stood. He was the definitely the most competitive player I played with in the NBA. But as far as like leading and strategizing and, and like coaching, it was just he just did it by example. And and so we followed. But players that I played with that could become, become great head coaches, I probably would have said Sam Cassell. And I think in due time, he will get an opportunity to coach uh, a team. I mean, he's been an assistant coach for quite some time now. So, But uh, Jason Kidd, man, that was interesting. He was a quiet leader. I would have never thought that he'd be the quiet guy, but I guess he was a quiet assassin, you could say, Kerry. Um, what about the opposite side of, of coaches that you had? John Calipari was a coach that you had. What was he like? Because I, I'd imagine he was a lot more feisty than uh, Jason Kidd or even a Byron Scott. Yes, uh, <laughs> Calipari was – there's nothing like Calipari. Even today in the NBA, you watch these coaches. They, he's just a super passionate guy 24-7. That, that's just his motor. He's he's always like that. I mean, no, every practice, every every pregame, every shoot-around drill, he was just so amped up for, for perfection. Um, and he demanded that from all of his players. And he brought that college mentality to the NBA where you know, you're going to work hard and practice every day. And I can remember when Cal was – working us the first couple of weeks in practice. And it was like, we started playing games and Jason Williams comes into practice and he goes, whoa, 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 time out coach, time out. He goes, you can either get it in practice or you can get it in the games. You're not going to get it in both. So you choose which one you wanted it. <laughs> As a young player to sit there and watch this veteran talk to the head coach like that, I was like, wow. But uh, Cal made the adjustment and he was fine. We went, off to, went to the playoffs my second year and um, he was a fun guy to be around. Now, fans have been a, a theme of today's show, Carrie, and, and obviously fans back in Barclays. Um, but there, there's always been this talk around Nets fans in general. you got the guys from New, New Jersey and then – you know, the, the idea that uh, they had to move to Brooklyn to create a, a, a new fan base. But now all of a sudden, the, the Nets are talked about uh, all the time. From, from your experience, how would you rate the, the Nets fan base and what would you say about it then versus now? Then versus now, when I played, it was it was a family crowd. Let's be honest. It was New Jersey. It was kind of like in the swamp in the middle of nowhere. You know, folks had to drive there by car. So it was like, you know moms and dads taking their kids to games and you just and you just often see kids just toddling along behind parents at games which is cool i know at, at the time but like now when you go to barclays center you're seeing the young the the the, the executives in there it's the, the scene it's a different vibe than the garden but it's it's nothing like new jersey it's it's like fans that are young they, they, you know, they body's little packages they come there and it's just like they have a lot of energy and that building is just like from start to finish you just feel the energy you go downstairs to the to the uh eating little place they have lounge it's just cool vibes it's like a club in there it's i mean it's an awesome experience honestly like <laughs> I'm jealous now as a, as, a, as a former player. I wish I would have been playing in, a, in the Barclays Center. Yeah, it's a lot bougier than the uh, Continental Airlines Arena and IZOD Center days. You get a lot more than a hot dog and chicken fingers at the Barclays Center. You get yourself some cheesecake and uh, anything of that realm. All right, last one in Kerry's corner for you, Kerry. You can relate a little bit to 300 fans in the building. Maybe there was a couple thousand <laughs> more in the swamps. But in terms of, you know, not a lot of fans in the building and looking around and seeing a ton of empty seats, was that difficult at times? Was it tough to get motivated when there wasn't a ton of support in those 90s when you guys weren't winning? Sometimes, yeah. In some respects, it was tough because you go to other places. You know, you go to Indiana, you play in Market Square Arena, and it was a, you know, 
crowd was crazy. You go to Sacramento back then, you hear the cowbells right behind the bench the whole game, you know, yelling and screaming at players. And then to come back home to the swamps, and you, like I said before, you play a game in the Meadowlands midweek, and it was just like, and we were an exciting team to watch play. We were up, up-tempo style play. We, you know, we had some really athletic players finishing above the rim and stuff like that. And then the crowd would just be like sitting down, just barely clapping. And so it was just, it was low energy, you know, and it was, it was a shame because the team was an exciting team. We were, you know, we were winning on most nights in that in that building for for two and a half seasons uh, consistently, and yet and still the fans just didn't bring it the way we thought they should. And now the Empire State Building's being lit up in in black and white. Ah uh, man, why you gotta rub it in like that with me, Robin? Well, we're, I mean, I'm sorry. It's good. Yeah, you, people still love you. <laughs> yeah, the popcorn is better too. <laughs> We're joined now by the Post Nets reporter, Brian Lewis, NY Post underscore Lewis on Twitter. And Brian, you were at Barclays uh, last night. I mean, obviously, you've been covering the team all year. What was the difference having just a few fans in the building, a a small crowd in in the building? Was the the atmosphere different? Did you feel it? Was it noticeable? It was noticeable. It was a tiny crowd, but tiny is better than nothing, right? I mean, uh, usually you've had zero fans, and now they had probably – 300 uh, scattered about the arena, but at least you could you could hear them. I mean, there was noise that wasn't necessarily just being piped in. You had cheerily, well, whatever they, you know, the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, there was a little bit of a a little bit more of a vibe than there had been, which you know, I take it for the players. I mean, that means something. You know, I mean, you come in, it's, you know, it's a, a game against a, a quote lesser opponent. You know, on a midweek, it's that's going to be helpful. For the players, and plus, it's I think it's just great from a societal point of view, just to at least take one small step to getting back to normal. What's the progression plan for them? When when do we see the the arena at more capacity? Do you know that? I think after these three, they have three home games. Well, I guess now two before the All Star break, and these will all be uh, with several hundred fans. And then after the All-Star break, I think that's when you'll be reassessing and looking at maybe, assuming it goes swimmingly, then maybe 10%. So maybe jumping from 300 to whatever, 17, 1800, um, I believe. That's the tentative plan now. And Brian, look, looking at this Nets team, I mean, w- w- what are your thoughts on what you've seen as of late? I mean, we were talking about them going out west and, and trying to put together a win streak, uh, and, and they've done that. <laughs> they they took care of their business, and, uh, and even without KD in the lineup. Yeah, I think they may have learned their lesson from that Detroit game. They were rightfully so a little embarrassed at the way they had performed against the lesser lights in this league, where they kind of gave the impression that they thought they could just roll the ball out there and win based on their talent. And ever since then, you know, they've rededicated themselves to, quote, playing the right way. I mean, you see you see guys taking charges. You see guys giving up their bodies for each other. You see Kyrie diving on the floor for loose balls. I mean, they have played the way they're going to need to play to win games, right? They don't have to play great defense. They don't have to be dominant on that end. They just have to be mediocre on that end. And that'll that'll serve. That's been probably the single biggest difference. Has there been any adjustments you've seen from Steve Nash? I mean, think about you know the, the challenges that they had. You know, on the defensive end, you mentioned that just rebounding, just the turnovers we kept seeing. It's a lack of days ago turnovers we were watching from the, even James Harden and, and, and Kyrie. I'm worrying about Steve Nash and what, what the job he's done thus far. What, what are your thoughts on the staff and and making those subtle adjustments that seem to be paying off in in, in a more consistent 
consistent effort. I mean, yes, they've gotten cleaner with the ball. To me, probably some of the biggest things that he's done, for one, I mean, I'm not saying it's the most impactful thing because he is not your best player, but I just love the way he's found ways to make Bruce Brown beyond useful. I would go as far as to say necessary. I mean, you've got a six foot three center. <laughs> In essence, you found a way to make a guard who cannot shoot Really, and I, I say this understanding he just hit two three-pointers. A guard who is not a good shooter, a vital part of your offense. He's rolling. He's six foot three. <laughs> but it works, right? He's found something that works, and he's going to beat you over the head with it. And he's going to take advantage of it. And since Harden came in, they already switched more than most teams. But since Harden came in, they're switching everything. Which I guess we shouldn't be shocked at. Right. Because this is what they did in Houston. They switched more than anybody in history when he was playing in Houston because he's for a guard. He's stocky. He's big. He gets a what normally would be a mismatch as a point guard. It's not a mismatch for him because he stands his ground. So they've switched and now they're getting accustomed to switching everything and they're doing it much better. Right. So now you don't see backdoor cuts or guys going free to the rim as often as you were seeing it in the first few weeks when Harden got here. That's another change. So these are, you know, little subtleties that you're seeing from Steve Nash and Steve Nash and crew, right? Because I think D'Antoni, D'Antoni was a coach of that Rockets team. So it would be naive to think he didn't play a role in that. So I think these are some of the more subtle things that I'm enjoying seeing from Nash and company. Speaking of switching, a really switchable player just came uh, back to the team, and that's Nick Claxton. And obviously, Nets fans are a little over the moon because he's like a young player who, who you know, can develop. Um, he, he does need to develop, but the, the talent is obviously clearly there. How much do you think internally they're relying on, on Claxton to maybe be a cog in the rotation going forward? Well, I mean, it's, it's supposition. But, yes, I do think – listen, when you had guys – like Pell and Noah, right? At that point, you didn't have a Claxton and Perry was down in the G League. So you were in a position where you're saying, well, I mean, if DeAndre gets hurt, we need some kind of cover. Now, coincidentally, Claxton is back. You know Perry's coming. So I think, though, I actually believe seeing those guys being picked up when they were, to me, that implies, yeah, we actually believe we have something in Claxton, but we need something to bridge that gap. We think this guy has potential on both ends of the court. When you have a wingspan like that, you have a guy who's as active as he is. You have a guy who's switchable and can go out there and cover a guard with that wingspan. I think they have high hopes for him. Now, how quickly he matures and becomes that reliable player on a regular basis, I don't know, because we haven't been able to see him stay healthy long enough to realize that potential. But I do think they have very high hopes for him. When it comes to the roster overall, it's a little hard to keep track. Can you explain what exactly is going on? You know, Robertson and, and Shumpert and Vonley waved, and then we're hearing about 10-day contracts, and they bring up another guy from the, the, the G League who's, who's done really well. I would believe it's Tyler Cook, right? When, when you look at the, the way that the roster is taking shape right now, can you outline a little bit what these moves and, and shake, shakings might be? What it looks like to me is they want to keep – flexibility because they're still going to be active in the buyout market, right? Which they should be. I mean, if you're sitting on two exceptions, you you should be active in that market. But by having 10 days, obviously you're not committed to that. You like them enough that you want to get another look. You don't love them enough that you want to tie yourself down with, right? So that's what you're looking at. 
they have the flexibility that we can see if Roberson or Shump, either one, comes good as a wing defender that we can use. Okay, then we can keep him. If one doesn't come good, fine, we move on from him. And we still have an opportunity to go out and get somebody that shakes loose and uses $5 million toward him or what have you. And by the way, yes, Cook is Cook might have been the best unaffiliated, unassigned player in the G League. He really looked good in the G League. You know, he was averaging basically 20 and 10. Now, granted, he can't shoot, but he's a top-end athlete. And they've shown the ability to work on guys' shot before. So I think, you know, I think that's a guy who could – develop and you might even see him stick down there down the road any chances on them uh being able to pull off something for for andre drummond if he gets bought out uh, is that totally off the table or because they, they get him in my opinion it's over over i mean <laughs> i already have them coming out the east by 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 what they've shown me the last couple of weeks and their and their real true potential but they pull off that uh, a drumming type of move that just, to me, sets them over the bar. They're going to compete against the Joel Embiid's in the East, and they're going to the finals, and I don't see nobody getting and stopping them. As a buyout or as a trade? As a buyout, yes. I mean, if he is bought out, yes. As a deal, no. <laughs> I don't see that. But if he's bought out, I think there would be mutual interest. I think there would be interest from his end, and I think there would be interest from their end. Absolutely. But there are other guys out there. To be, you know, yes, he's probably the peak. But, I mean, there are other guys that could help. You know, I think Kevon Looney could help. Now, Grant, you have to trade for him, right? I think think McGee could help. I mean, I think there are guys that would contribute on this team, especially when you consider, like I said, the depth behind DJ is all potential. Perry is potential. Cook is potential. Clax is potential. Um, so I think there are a number of guys that would help. I think Drummond would just help more than everybody else. Everything's going pretty good as is, I'll say. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And they, they've sort of embraced the small ball identity, which I've liked as well. But um, you, you mentioned DeAndre Jordan. Let's give him a quick shout-out because I've been harsh on him, and I think others have been. He's played really well as of late. He has, and I think he's fully engaged. Here's the thing. If you read between the lines of what – Steve has said. And Steve is almost to a fault positive at every turn. If you read between the lines of what he's saying the other day when he had, what do you have, three or four blocks <laughs> the other day when they entered the road trip, he says this is what he can look like when he's fully active and fully engaged emotionally in what's going on and feels good and happy. Um, so I guess the key is to get him feeling like that and playing like that constantly or consistently. But yes, he has. He's played much better of late. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that's part of why their defense in the paint has looked so much better. I I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's completely related. Brian Lewis covering the Nets for the New York Post. Us here at the New York Post. You can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Lewis. Brian, appreciate your time as always. Oh, thanks. Anytime, guys. The next stop is Barclays Center. Flatbush Avenue. That puts the icing on the cake for episode 10, the Otis Birdsong edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a nice review in there, please. We appreciate your support all season long. 
For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We return to your airwaves next Wednesday. Stay safe, stay warm, stay healthy, and thanks for listening to Full Court on Flatbush. Let's go next.